This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Man, it's a great weekend of football we just experienced. I'm so super excited. We got Coley Mick uh, in his, what is that? What, what are you? This is, this is Bandit uh, from, from the Smash television series Bluey. We got Cam Wolf. He's coming in, man, dropping some knowledge. Reporter who uh, just doesn't report for 45 seconds. Got my Carolina Panthers. You know, my Carolina Panthers. It's kind of like you, you, you own you own up on the team. We winning my Carolina Panthers. We lose it. Hey, I probably work for NFL Network and the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> right? But, man, such an exciting game. You have the top three picks of last, of this year's draft playing this uh, this weekend. What outstanding game, low scoring, because the defense was just flat out uh, outstanding. Coach Frank Wright has really taken this week off of the play caller, right? And so he gave, he's conceded play calling to Thomas Brown. Mm -hmm. But some of the guys told me that that I was really impressed. And I know, Coach, uh, the reason why uh, Mr. Tepper, uh, Dave Tepper, um, hired uh, Frank Wright was his ability to manage. And they said the the head coach, the CEO, Frank Wright, was firing on all cylinders. He had a pulse on both sides of the football and special teams. And I believe because of that, you saw a team that they still struggled, right? They're a young team. I think this is a two-year process. And then hitting into the third year, it's kind of hitting your stride. Steve, I love what you said there. And there's two things I want to add there um, because I think, and some of this was the the organization trying to hype up their fan base, but there was a lot of overselling this offseason. And I think there was initial expectation that you draft Bryce Young and all of a sudden you're going to be a playoff team in year one. And I think that did them a little unfair with the expectations. They still have struggles on their offensive line. Their weapons aren't ready yet may have one of the worst receiving groups in the league as Whoa, far as weapons. The I'm worst. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to. He's just one off. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to cut to it. I'm just trying to cut to it. <laughs> he didn't lie. It, it, it's just the reality. You may disagree, and, and you may disagree, and I, I respect that. You're the wide receiver wizard. Hold on. So but the production. Yes, other, Huh? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Oh my gosh! Holy if, if smokes! You're looking for a yes man, you got the wrong man. Oh gosh, <laughs> Coley's not a yes man. You're on a yes man. I need to get people a different guest on here. <laughs> <laughs> but but okay. I guess my overall point is that you got to give them time. Like any other team, we would have seen them draft a number one overall pick. You're thinking we'll give them time. You know, let them time to develop. You remember how bad it was for Trevor. Lawrence his first year and now he's viewed as one of the best quarterbacks in the league but because of the way that you know we're shaping this Bryce Young's this Bryce Young's that I think they had to sell people that his size wasn't a factor so much maybe they oversold how much they were ready to win in year one and so I think you're right it takes time to do that but I also like what you said about Frank Wright because so much of the so much of the noise I heard on social media was that, oh, well, we finally got to get rid of Frank Reich as the play caller because he's doing this poorly, he's doing that poorly. This isn't just about, like, Frank Reich being a bad play caller. This is what you said. It's, it's so much pressure, so much responsibility to be both the play caller and the CEO at the same time. It's not, you know, especially as a first year in org. And so if he can free himself up to spend a little bit more time, you know, managing a young team, and allowing Thomas Brown to just handle that one aspect of the in-game play calling, I think it makes everybody better. You look at the Carolina Panthers, the the whole game as a whole, right? Right. Just talking about the offense, Bryce Young was hit so many times; he was under duress, but also two six sacks, right? A lot of that pressure. The defense is generating so much pressure, and we're just saying pressure that counts as generated pressure on the stats. They, the Carolina Panthers 
on this couple in the next this year and next year. Especially they're going to have a lot of capital in free agency to go out there. And you have to get some guys. What I believe is you have to have depth, right? Healthy competition who are going to you start because you had a good week of practice, not because of your draft status, not because you have a big contract, because you got it done this week against a Brian Burns, against a Derek Brown. Man, Bryce was only under center 17% of the time. And, and you hear the 17%, so I'm breaking it down. I'm going, man, really, how much is 17%? Bro, only six attempts. That actually of play action. You got to get Bryce under center. You got to make sure teams cannot start to tee off and key off on you. And also, too, you got to give your offensive lineman a chance. I mean, you look on the right side, there are veterans. Those are guys who've been in the league, they who know how to finagle, fix, trick. I don't want to say cheap, but you know, pull <laughs> jersey a little bit right here. Get away with a little something, yeah. Yeah, get away with a little something. Have a good technique. The offensive line is is holding them back in a lot of different capacities. And the reality of it is, the hardest thing on offense to do is to quickly build a good offensive line. Like to be, be able to build an offensive line that is ready to compete and contend um, with these young players is going to take time. Like Iki Aquanu was a guy they invested a lot of resources on. He was a sixth round pick, sixth overall pick last year, and he's really struggled in pass protection. You mentioned just his skill set as, as a run blocker, as a power guy. Last year, when they were having success, they were running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, downhill, downhill, downhill. That was their game. Iki could fire off, fire off, fire off. Now they're doing a lot of backward stepping, and you're seeing some of these guys take advantage of this uncertainty. And you're right. I think he's still going to have time. He's going to have to make it. He was their sixth overall bid. They're going to have him out there. But the reality is you're seeing a, him and some other guys struggle to transition to what the current offense is. You have players that are going to be on your team because of whatever restrictions or whatever uh, whatever the scouting report was saying about those players, right? You get a guy who he fits in, he fits in our system. But, man, first of all, C.J., C.J. Stroud threw some some passes in areas that you just don't see a young pup do. And Bryce Young did the same thing. Throwing the ball. Now, sometimes uh, the defender made it difficult for the wide receiver, right? I, you could bring up this play against uh, Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo runs a quick out. You got him. He gives a release, quick, uses his hands, goes out. But see that just that little ah, right? Just at the end, just at the end, watch when Bryce throws it. He cannot completely follow through because someone is in his lap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and run the play. Look, those are the little small things that just going to have to work out. I like this route by Mingo. He's in the slot, gives a head indicator. But this difference, he uses his hands, uses his body comes back out and then look at the yak. Most, you know, most receivers, they see guys coming and they're going to go down. Mingo, he's about that action. Watch what he does. He sees the guy, watch him. Look, look, you, you see how he tries to give him some. Yep. yep. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. You, that's the things that you, those are the small little things that I'm watching. I'm saying receive. There are some receivers who they were the one out of bounds. They definitely wouldn't have saw a guy and said, oh, yeah, I remember you gave me, you said something to me probably about three or four or two or three quarters ago. That was my opportunity to go ahead and put my tea bag in your hot water and see how this is going to taste. Well, also just having the awareness that someone could be coming from behind. I feel like you see so many, especially young receivers, cut back to the middle of the field, get hocked from behind, end up fumbling. Or get fumbled like D uh, Douglas. Exactly. Yeah. They're not going back to the middle of the field. You're up, everyone's got their eyes downfield. There's still seven people chasing you down. So that was what was impressive to me there. I, I love the growth that you're seeing these two guys come together with uh, Bryce and Mingo, like Mingo early in the season, he just was not getting his reps. But as you see him go along the season, you see how their chemistry is growing more and more. 
And you mentioned just the O-line there. There was another play there, and I don't know if we have it, but I I loved it in the second quarter of this game where Bryce spins out, like you talked about the pressure all day, but he spins out of a, a, a would-be sack and throws mm. the ball down the left side. I think it was a wheel route to Adam Thielen about 30 mm-hmm. yards down the field. And it was one of the best plays I've seen Bryce throw like since he's been a pro. Because like you talked about, he was getting pressure all day. It's easy for a quarterback to get flustered. He stuck with it, stayed with his read, and made a throw. And that play, along with that that last drive where he had, I think it was 15 plays, 86 yards, you know, first down after first down, leading him to the game-winning field goal, those are things you want your franchise quarterback to do. So I think you're seeing more and more growth from uh, – from number nine. Yeah, when I look at when I'm looking and watching the Carolina Panthers, you can see hope. You can see that this team is on the up. They're not going to move as fast as the fan base would like them to be, but they're moving and they're making strides. They have some good players. They have some guys that maybe would flourish with some veteran leadership to kind of help them and guide them. Right, coaches can coach you all day, but when you have somebody who understands and knows and he's right next to you in the huddle and he can say, hey, this is what's going on. Hey, be careful of this. Watch this guy. Did you see what he does that? That's what that sideline conversation is. And you talk about it in the huddle, be in between games. What do the Panthers need to address? I think they just need to have, some, they need to mix it up, get a little bit more, you know, some guys that, aren't 23, aren't 24 years old, maybe get some guys 27, 28 years old who have been at some other teams who are ready to step up, who are who are tired of watching, who are hungry to, to put their name in the hat to say, hey, I'm ready, I'm, I am ready to hit this league by storm. And then the last thing, and, and here's what I mean, Derek Brown, who's a, He's a shade. He's a nose. He's a penetrating um, defensive tackle. But yet, he's he he leads the lead. He leads the team with PBUs. Yeah, that, that shouldn't that should never be the case, right? <laughs> but it just it just shows also they and he's not pass breaking up. Just in the shade in the middle. Look at him engage. That's gets nice up there, understands, recognize <laughs> what's going on, and then he goes ahead and uh, gets his little three-inch vertical. <laughs> <laughs> you said you could slide a book under there. You could slide a book yeah. under there. Yeah, yeah, not 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 one of those uh, not one of those old uh, encyclopedias. No war and peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no war and peace. <laughs> Nah, Derek Brown. Derek Brown is a guy who's uh, looking at a big time contract very soon. He is a he's definitely established himself as one of the better uh, defensive tackles in the league. And um, you mentioned it as they moved him around. I think you've seen more of his pass rush potential. That was the big question: Can he pass rush? Is he just a run blocker? I think the schemes allowed him to move around. He's showing he could be more versatile than just that 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 gap plugging nose tackle. So that's gonna make him some money uh, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and go down, uh, right down 85 and hit the uh, Atlanta Falcons. I'll uh, mute my microphone um, <laughs> as you speak because we shall not, uh, you know, I'm be- I got to be careful. Yeah. You know, I got to be yeah. careful. I'm- so, you don't, so, you don't so, want any so, more coaches so, yelling at you? Man, coaches, uh, you know, coming at me, players. I, I don't, I don't need that in my life. So, so, so I, so I will save Steve here and be his translator to an extent for this, no, no, for this period. For um, so, so I'll give you guys some perspective. Hey. Me and Steve, me and Steve have had these conversations really the last several months about Desmond Ritter and the Falcons' quarterback situation. Um, I, I have been of the belief that you give Desmond Ritter time. Uh, like Arthur Smith said, to show whether or not he's got the goods. And Steve has been very clear, as he has on a lot of these platforms, that uh, he he he's not a big Desmond Ritter believer, and he knew that very early on. And so this week, we saw Desmond Ritter get benched. Um, Arthur Smith says it wasn't for performance reasons, but to me, it very much looked like it was. But but I will say this: like when we're talking to Falcons, Steve, you've been you've been right on this, and 
I think it's a it's a real precarious point. Like, care, but I had to catch myself. Like Arthur Smith's <laughs> got a like Arthur Smith's at a really precarious point. I'm curious how he handles this because the Falcons have a good enough team to win the NFC yeah, South, they do. minus the quarterback position. Mm. Um, and so the reality is, I don't know if Taylor Heineke is going to be good enough or better. But the problem is, I, we've seen enough in eight games, at least I have, that makes me wonder if Desmond Ritter is. And so when they pulled Desmond Ritter, it was almost like a finally from a lot of the Falcons fan base. Like, we've been waiting for this, finally. Finally, we get a chance to see someone else. And they ended up, you know, they, they didn't end up, like, working for him. But they ended up moving the ball a little bit better. They didn't have as many turnovers. Desmond Ritter's turnovers have been an issue. His, his turnovers have been a huge issue. Now, I will say there, there's been glimpses of good things of Ritter. Like, it hasn't been all awful. Um, no, I, but I don't think he's awful. Yeah, he's, he's shown do. some good glimpses at times. Um, but the the issues, the turnovers, the lack of consistent offensive success have been the overwhelming takeaway um, when you watch the Atlanta Falcons. And a team that has Bijan Robinson, that has Kyle Pitts, that has Drake London, although I know you know that's not your uh, your favorite cup I'm, of tea. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem. I'm just saying. With, but, but they, they have, have more talent. With. Then their offense yeah, shows. That's what I'm. But that that's my whole point when we were talking in the summer. Mm-hmm. They have the talent, right? You know, quarterbacks are supposed to make organizations better, but also organizations have to put people and players around the quarterback that can help him grow as well. My assessment with Drake London isn't he can't play. He can play. He's not going to develop into the player that you scouted because your quarterback play, your offense is built around uh, is built around running the football. You can't learn how to run better routes, run blocking, and that's my thing with well, that I was trying to say, and I didn't do a good job, but trying to say why I didn't think Drake London it has nothing to do with Drake London's skill set. He has the skill set. But everything around him is not built to help him advance and speed up the process. He he's not at this stage of his career. He is not built to carry an offense. Um, as your nothing wrong with that. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know too many rookies who have come out of the gate carrying an offense. I mean, Randy Moss was balling his rookie year, but then he also played with who? Chris Carter. Yeah. And he had an offensive mind that knew how to help him, right? So it all it, it, it all has to go together. You can't just throw everything in there, blend it up, and say, oh, it's a smoothie. And, and it ain't, you know, garlic and kale and ginger and turmeric and, you know, just all the nasty stuff. I think you make a lot of good points. Um, but the, pro- the reality is the way this team has been built, Drake's probably going to have to be the number one. They spent a first-round pick on him. Kyle Pitts and B. John Robinson. So that's going to be their core of offensive weapons for better or for worse in the future. And so you, I understand your, your issues on the limitations of maybe Drake London's potential as a number, a true number one. I don't know if we can truly tell how good each of these individual playmakers are until they figure out their quarterback situation. Yeah. Which the reality is like we, like fans can debate between Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke, I don't know if either of these guys are going to be the future in 2024 or beyond, right? So the whole idea of Arthur Smith giving Desmond Ritter chance have a chance, I actually understand that to an extent because if I'm not, if neither of these guys are probably going to be my future quarterback, I'd at least rather give the young dude every chance to prove me right in Arthur Smith's case or prove the world wrong. But you also are now jeopardizing the wide receiver's growth. In development, so it's like you're you're gonna you're gonna ride with your guy at quarterback, but you're gonna stunt my growth as a wide receiver. Drake London can play. Drake London can't throw the ball to himself. Yeah, you don't know what Arthur Smith's gonna call. He had Johnu Smith throwing passes in the red zone. He might be throwing (laughs) it to himself. (laughs) The Nelson Muntz offense. He might be breaking that out next week. Yeah. 
Drake, Drake London might lead the team in carries next week. You never know. Yeah, you I, never I, know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just I, I'm right, right. I'm I'm just just going down and going down the reason why Drake London will be fine. He's gonna be he's gonna be a he's gonna be a playmaker in this league. It's gonna take him longer to be a playmaker in this league because of the quarterback play. If you're hanging with Desmond Ritter. What's the the buzz from Falcons fans right now? Because there's still a contingent of them that's upset that they passed on a certain quarterback who may be very available. Obviously, it's trade deadline day today. I don't think that's going to happen today. But this offseason, you're looking at a couple of teams picking towards the top of the draft that are probably going to be moving on from quarterbacks a la Justin Fields. Is this a guy you've heard with any sort of connection to the Falcons moving forward? Yeah, I've been told definitively that the Falcons are not a Justin Fields team. They were not huge fans of him coming out of the draft, and I don't think that's changed. Now, you ask me, Justin Fields will be an upgrade over what they have, but I'm not the one making the decision. And so I'm just telling you what they what they believe and what I've heard. Um, but the reality is whether as much as they love Desmond Ritter and Arthur Smith really does. Like I've told you guys this when we were here this summer, he told me things about Desmond Ritter and his confidence. And I was like, come on. I told him to his face, Arthur, are you, are you, are you, you know, and. What'd you tell but, him to his face? What'd you, what'd you say to him? Speak with I said, said, I said, why? Like, I'm, I said, why, why, are, why is your confidence? Said, like, you said, at quarterback. You said, at quarterback. Yes. Give me reason. Cause like, you see things that I don't see. And I, I never pretend to be smarter than any coach, right? And so, like, what what do you see? Like, tell me. Like, tell me. And he talks about his toughness, his ability to, to, to shine in moments like third down and fourth, fourth quarter, and the fact that he never feels like he'll back down from a challenge, which these are all great intangibles. Um, but to me, when you turn it over the ball, a lot of that, you know, becomes minimized, at least in my book. Well, it's like there are certain teams – and I'll 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 stick with my Patriots because I don't want to just pick on the Falcons. There are certain teams that just don't get it with certain positions. And when you're like, we're a big Desmond Ritter team, we hate Justin Fields. Like that should be a red flag in your own brain to be like, all right, we're not seeing the ball right. We're not seeing this. And I'm not saying Justin Fields is like lit the league on fire. He's shown to be a lot better. And he's a mobile quarterback. Seems like the exact type of quarterback Arthur Smith would want. That's what it's like. The Patriots with wide receivers, whatever they're doing pre-draft, they got to start doing the opposite. And they should have started doing it like 15 years ago, but they haven't. That's that's where it's like teams need to self-scout. Steve's a big self-scouting uh, guy. You need to self-scout. It's like, hey, we're going to keep doing the same thing just when it comes to draft day. We're going the, the opposite. Like, we, we've scouted Nikhil Harry. We're not taking right. him. We're not taking him. We yeah. know it's not going to yeah. work. As a, so it's a very interesting point about teams' blind spots at certain positions, right? I think Arthur Smith's a really good coach, by the way. I think that he's good at what he does. I think that, that like, he's a good schemer. He, he finds a way to maximize the run game. But I think he has an idea. Like, he was very successful coming up in Tennessee when they had the offense with Derrick Henry, and they ended up trading for Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill had his comeback player of the year season. And you see Ryan Tannehill playing his best ball there. And so sometimes as a coach, you're molded by where you have your most success. And you're like, man, if I can get a quarterback that fits and looks like this, when I had the most success, I can be fine. And so it makes me wonder how much you're building your team with the idea of let's let's capture that that running heavy offense with the Ryan Tannehill style of play action passing, efficiency, and maybe you don't have to be Superman, but you can efficiently throw the ball to your playmakers. I can't be waiting on Ryan Tannehill. You're going to be Tannehill today. I can't, you don't get two years to become Ryan Tannehill, but even like you say that, that makes it seem like the coaching and the front office aren't aligned because if that's the type of team you're trying to build, why take a Kyle Pitts fourth? Why take a Drake London eighth? Why take a Bijan seventh? I I think it does because think about it. You get Bijan Robinson. So you get explosive playmaker in the run game. You get a wide receiver. They had, you know, Tennessee Titans have, all, have always had a wide receiver that had AJ yeah. Brown, right? a singular wide receiver, yeah. <laughs> a single wide receiver, right? AJ Brown, right? I, I, I'm just I, everything you're saying. Football coaches are crazy, uber creatures of habit. Definitely, Absolutely. whatever they do there, they're doing it here. 
Absolutely. Wherever they did it here, they're doing it there. That's but where, just what they did. Let me ask you this. Where was Derrick Henry drafted? Well, what round? Second round. That's where true. was A.J. Brown true. drafted? Second round. Yeah, that that's what true. I mean. Like, Tennessee did yeah. trench work first. And Atlanta has a really good offensive line. So obviously that's not an area they've need to hammer. And they have drafted in the first round there as well. But the defensive line, I mean, for the last four years, and it's been better this year, but for the last four years overall, really Arthur Smith's entire tenure there, they've been the worst pass rushing unit in all of football by far. All right, let's, let's move this along. Who needed to win more, San Francisco 49ers or the Cincinnati Bengals? Man, for me, I think both te- I, I don't think either one needed to win more. I think both teams needed this win. And, and the reason I say both teams, because if the San Francisco 49ers would have lost, it and the way they ha- had lost, the way things have been going offensively, you know, now people are saying Brock Pretty can't play. Look, I think Brock Pretty can still play. I think Brock Pretty is now in his first full season. So you're seeing the typical up and down of the season that people are not for whatever reason they believe that he wasn't going to have an up and down season Debo Samuel's not being in the lineup has really hurt them his presence on the field Jawan Jacobs can uh, uh, Jennings can play but he's not Debo Samuel it just does a lot of different things and it hamstrings their passing game I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to say it the thing the glaring thing that when I was watching the football game, when have the 49ers had a first-round corner? And the reason I say that is because the last three weeks, the defense, this is a top two, top one defense in the league. But the San Francisco 49ers under Kyle Shanahan, under uh, John Lynch, have gone about creating their defense with the front seven is a staple. But I'm talking about a first-round guy that can lock somebody down, that can eliminate that side of the field, or at least make you not have to have tums at 10 drops at a time throughout the quarter, right? And and let me get into it. So right now, Lenore, fifth-round draft pick, Isaiah Oliver, free agent from Atlanta, Right, high draft pick, second round pick from I believe Purdue, Anthony Brown. Haven't really seen a lot of him, and so I'm not, you know, now I'm getting on my P's and Q's because you know, as I when I start talking about players now, people getting in their feelings. The dude that's getting picked on is Isaiah Oliver, mm-hmm. bro. They five different receivers were targeted for 71 yards, four first downs, and two touchdowns. A hundred percent when targeted in week eight, a hundred percent of the receivers are catching. Week seven, four targets, four catches, a hundred percent. Week six, three catches, three targets, a hundred percent. They need a number one lockdown, non-cover hiding corner to play with Lenore. Who can play? To play with Tredavious Ward. Who can play? So, Steve, this is not the last year's 49ers team. Um, And, you know, what's interesting about the way they built, it seems like they've made an intentional decision to to prioritize pass rush over coverage, right? And some people believe by analytics that is the better philosophy. But when you do that, you open yourself up to teams that can beat your pressure consistently can exploit your corners. And watching that Bengals game yesterday, Joe Burrow went 10 for 10 when under pressure for 136 yards in the touchdown, nearly a perfect passer rate. So they were getting pressure with Boza and Hargrave and all the dudes they spent a lot of money on up front, and he was still dicing them. That's what the elite quarterbacks do. You're going to get in my face. You're going to get pressure on me, but I'm still going to beat you. And so um, that, that, that to me is the issue, not that their, their, their core of their team has changed. They've really doubled down on what the core of their team is, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Teams are just exploiting their weakness, which what you mentioned is the coverage. That's just, that's not going to work. And and I believe right now without having that elite corner, they kind of put themselves at a disadvantage and is now starting to mess with the offense because the offense can never have a bad day. 
I think to answer your original question, I think this is bigger for the Bengals, but one brief point about the 49ers before I want to get to the Bengals. Um, the 49ers were viewed as the, if not the favorite, the co-favorite with the Eagles. Because the of the defense. Right, because of the defense. And now we've seen them lose three straight games. And I think there is a serious question of whether they're even the best team in their division right now. The Seahawks are playing great ball, and they just made a trade for Leonard Williams to improve their defensive line, which was maybe one of their biggest weaknesses. Um, And so I think that you're seeing, without the defense being the best defense in the league, the offense being exposed to an extent. And, you know, that's why I think the Brock Purdy talk is interesting because – a lot of times when you have the quarterback like Brock Purdy, when things are going right, when your defense is playing well, when your weapons are healthy, he can be one of the most effective quarterbacks in the league. But what happens when those other things start to break down? The defense starts to struggle. You lose Debo for a game. You lose Trent Williams for a game or two. Who are you? And I think that has been the biggest question with the 49ers and during this three-game losing streak, we're really seeing that. Now, on the other side, I think this is huge for the Bengals. Um, first of all, Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals. Who um, should be up for a head coaching job as well. Should be up for a head coach oh, opportunity. So good. And, and thankfully for his sake, he didn't take the Cardinals gig. He'll get a better gig this upcoming offseason. Um, but but he called in a tremendous game, um, and he has been great all season. Remember, they replaced their two safeties, Jesse Bates and Von Bell, and, and they were the communication of this defense. A lot yep. of times you expect a, a struggling transition. They have not had those struggles. They got two picks off Brock Purdy, three turnovers. Um, Cam Taylor-Britt has been incredible on the back end. Mike Hilton had a really strong game. This Bengals defense really has carried the offense early in the season when they've struggled to find, like when Burrow's been trying to get healthy. Now he's back. But over that period, they carried him. And why that win was so big is you look at the AFC North. It's the only division in the league that has every team with a winning record. The Baltimore Ravens are 6-2. and two. They're starting to run away with that thing. If the Bengals lose that game and drop it three and four, they're three games back on the Ravens at midway point of the season. That's a hard gap to make up. And we know in that division how key it is to have home field to be able to win your division. And so I love the way that they responded and played on Sunday. Um, They needed that. They needed that. And now that team becomes dangerous because Burrow's healthy. The offense is starting to roll and they can kind of attack their second half of the season. I think the Bengals once again, are probably one of the two or three best teams in the AFC. That, okay, so let's jump into it. You got Miami coming up in there. You got Jalen Ramsey comes back, right, gets an interception, uh, first game back uh, from injury. Coach McDaniels, his coach's style is uh, ridiculous, just what he's doing. But Tyreek Hill, he's on pace um, to break Calvin Johnson's record, and it looks like it, and I think he has such a great opportunity to do it. So for me, I, I think Tyreek Tyreek is a front runner uh, for MVP. But I have to ask it like this because uh, you know sometimes the receiver is doing such a great job that people start to throw the quarterback in there. So is it Tyreek Hill as MVP, the front runner, or is will it be a one-two voting between Tyreek Hill and Tua Tagovailoa? That's a great question and one that has been huge in the Dolphins fan base um, because if you know anything about Dolphins fans, they are going to defend Tua to the death and tooth and nail. And so anytime you say anything positive about a Tyree kill or someone else, they're like, wait, nope, that's Tua. Um, <laughs> the reality is they may end up being right because the MVP is a quarterback award. It, it's always been a quarterback award. And so although Tyreek is doing something impressive, I do think that at the end of the day, if Tua stays healthy and is the one delivering on the passes and is not throwing the interceptions, uh, he would probably still get it over Tyreek if it's him or him. So I'm, I'm curious, like, from your, your perspective, Steve, like, obviously you've been the elite receiver that teams have game planned for. What is that, like, what is that responsibility? What, that, what is that pressure like um, taking that on and still producing? The, the the production obviously uh, is there with Tyreek Hill, and he's on uh, he's on pace to produce in a way that no one has ever produced. So I you know I, I don't know what that is is it's like, but what I do 
know what is like what it's like is when you have a head coach when you have a play call who is dialing up plays to get you in the zone that quickly and i'm not talking about the end zone i'm talking about the zone to be able to slow the game down at a pace that is more is is like matrix you can start to see so many little nuances of the game and what the defense is doing and then now you go in motion and when you're going in motion, right, you start off lined up behind the tackle, the left or right tackle, and then you go in motion, and you to get get to go back, and then you're hitting a hitting a play on the run. And they're giving you the opportunity to run, go in motion, and you get to run a curl. You get to run a quick out, you get to run an in, you get to run a post, uh, you get to run a a a, a an angle route. All of those things now. It's like you become a shooter. All of a sudden, you're just getting a pass, and you can just throw it up, right? So you're just starting to throw it up like, ah, boom, I know they're going to run that screen, right? And so when you have a play caller that is dialing up so much success, man, it builds your confidence to walk into the game on Sunday, Saturday, Monday, Thursday night. In a couple of weeks, uh, in this weekend in Germany, where I'll be, that you get to just say, "Hey, I'm here. I know, I know, I'm getting 25 plays with what 75 percent of the motion. That's gonna be at my advantage, no matter what you do on defense, bro. That's a great feeling, right? It, it's it's incredible. I hadn't seen anything like Tyreek Hill season ever." Um, and, and what's crazy is I remember the narrative when he first came to Miami. It was that all he's going to drop because he's going from Mahomes to Tua, right? There's no way Mahomes lifting him up. He couldn't, he can't do this without him, this and that. He mentioned it this week. He said, my game's light years ahead of where I was in Kansas City. Like, he's elevated his game yeah, yeah. At, at this age. Like, you know what it is. You know what it is, Steve. A lot of times when receivers get to 30, everybody's like, oh, well, this is the downhill downhill run Tyreek Hill's 29 years old and having the best season of his career as a speed receiver um, which I think is is rare and so um, it's impressive it, he deserves all the credit and if he gets 2,000 yards then even if he doesn't win it he should certainly be in that top three of the MVP award what I think probably is going to happen is Tua or whoever else is the quarterback who's the hottest at that time wins MVP and they get and he gets offensive player to you yeah, he, he deserves some hardware, some kind of hardware. Well, for Which people at home, too, if they want to know when the Dolphins' offense will be banned, December 31st, they play the Ravens. Harbaugh will be crying like a newborn baby the second the clock hits zero, and it will be banned for the new year. So that's tough for the Dolphins because they'll be walking into the playoffs. They won't be able to use their offense. That's going to be tough. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Hey Jackson, the Jackson. Let's stay in my. Let's stay in the state of Florida. So mosey down the uh, mosey on up to Jacksonville. Six and two, third in the AFC. Are the Jacksonville contenders or pretenders? Uh, contender for me, um, and I think what makes them a contender is their defensive ability to create turnovers. To me, that was the biggest weakness of this team. Like I watched them a lot last year when they were making an incredible run. And all of the, it was like Trevor Lawrence in the offense making incredible comebacks because the defense put them in 20-point holes. Now you're seeing their they lead the league in takeaways, which takeaways are, are such a direct stat to winning and losing. And then their two edge rushers, they don't have a lot of pass rush, but their two edge rusher, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, have been playing really good ball. Uh, Josh Allen, who they've been waiting for three years to become their elite pass rusher, has nine sacks. Just so happens he's in a contract year. Um, so maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe not. Some of those sacks have been just, you know, you know, kind of touchdown sacks. So he's going to get better numbers than maybe the production. But he's playing great ball. Trayvon Walker's creating consistent pressure. And so that defense really has been um, – you know, kind of like the Bengals carrying them through some first half offensive struggles because the Jags changed their play caller to press Taylor uh, this season. And Jags fans will tell you they had been frustrated a bit through the struggles on offense. They hadn't been 
quite as crisp as they were on the second half of the season, even with Calvin Ridley. So um, that defense gives me hope that they're contenders, and I have belief that Trevor and Press will figure it out. So I was chatting with the, the Jags, and, you know, kind of the slogan that came out was gritty, not pretty. Hmm. Even this past week, they beat the Steelers. They win 20-10. to 10. Yeah. They go into Pittsburgh. The defense is going up there smacking. And after the game, they're talking about how they took exception to George Pickens calling them a hope <laughs> defense. He, they called, he called them a hope defense because they hope that plays happen. And they, they're talking at George Pickens. And I'm like, okay, this is they a different – This, they this is wolfing. a different uh, Rayshon Ray Jenkins said after the game, I hope they were going to be more competitive. <laughs> I was like, I was like well, when he said that, talk. I was like, they talk, when he they said, talk. I was and like, so, I like it, but this is not going to go well. But <laughs> and so I feel good about them. They're going into their bye. Um, you know, we're going to see. They got to win one of those games against one of the contenders. They lost their last three games to the Chiefs in the last two years. And so they've got to beat the Chiefs. They got to beat one of those elite teams to get over the hump. And that's my big question about them. Can they beat the Chiefs? Can they beat the Dolphins? Can they beat the uh, the Ravens, you know, the Bengals when it counts? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but I do think that they are uh, they are one of the teams that we're going to be talking about uh, deep into January. All right. Give us something on the – give us give us something. Give us an intel on the um, Dolphins and Chiefs. What you got? Um, Dolphins and Chiefs. The Dolphins should get back safety Javon Holland and cornerback Xavier Howard who's been dealing with a groin injury uh, I talked to him in pregame and he said he planned to be back for the Chiefs game they've been trying to get him to 100% and so we'll get the healthiest look at the Dolphins secondary uh, all season so they'll have Jalen Ramsey who played 90% of the snaps 92 actually in his debut and looked incredible his recovery from that knee injury they're probably gonna have to do case studies on it because he's looked so good um, but it, him on one side, Xavier Howard on the other side, and then you'll have Javon Holland, their top safety on the back end. Vic Vangio mentioned it last week. He thinks it's going to change how they call defense with having Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard on that side. And so that's been the one question I've had about the Dolphins, um, other than winning road games against elite teams, is can their defense be good enough when it counts? Because their defense has been kind of eh, um, and we just kind of have – haven't cared about it because they're putting up 70 points on offense. Just true. You know? yeah. And so, but the defense, when it comes to January, is going to have to play better. I'm eager to see how that healthy group looks against Patrick Mahomes. They're going to be a little feisty. They lost the game. They shouldn't have lost against Denver. They just kind of fell asleep. And so I think you'll see your A game Chiefs. And so I'm eager to see that matchup, how they match up to Travis Kelsey and that Chiefs team. And then the Cheetah, man, the Cheetah's having his return uh, against his former team. In Germany, not Arrowhead, but. He uh he's planning to put on a show. He said they're gonna get old reek. So uh, those are probably the two things I'm looking at. For, Isn't that a worse player? Uh, Sunday in Germany. Huh? <laughs> Isn't that a worse player per Tyreek? Right, old reek. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. He said it, but it's that's what I mean. Yeah, be better. You should see new new reek, right? <laughs> hey, that's what that's what our receivers do, man. We kind of did that. Hey man, <laughs> I appreciate you taking your time, Cam. Man, dropping that knowledge as always. Hey. Yeah, you got the we got the Eagles and Cowboys. Man, it's you know obviously the Cowboys Molly Wap the Los Los Angeles Rams, right? What I'm what I'm going to be watching, what I'm excited to see, but I also kind of worried is how is this offense going to handle the front seven for the Philadelphia Eagles? Right. How is will Dak Prescott have enough time and have a clean pocket to deliver the football? Yeah, it'll be interesting because it's it's strange. The Washington commanders are giving up a historic amount of sacks through seven weeks, but they only got to howl once last week. So if if there's something Dallas can steal from what they were doing, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know how the commanders were beating that front seven, but if whether it's quick releases, whether it's 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 short stuff, I know Dak's not as mobile as Howell, but that's not a huge gap in terms of their mobility. The problem that you can't take from the Washington commanders is the first time the Philadelphia Eagles played the Washington commanders. It was a pre- it was pretty much they did what they wanted to do in the past game, right? The commanders still have a pretty good defense. 
The second time, though, the commanders did do some things that were different. But what did not happen is they didn't make a the defense didn't make a, any adjustments. They kept running the same stuff, even though it was not working. And they, you know, they benched for Forbes, Emmanuel Forbes Jr. They benched him and gave him an opportunity. He was having a rough rookie year. And he comes back and he kind of start, he kind of picks up where he left off a little bit. And he's just a rookie. I think he'll be fine. But man, he's in a rough spot right now. And I feel bad for him. And I and I don't necessarily think it's the player. I just think he's just in a scheme right now that he's trying to figure out. And the commanders, you know, just aren't doing him any good right now. And I, I just hope that they can uh, reduce the bleeding uh, for this ru young rookie and, and, and don't kill his confidence. Yeah, he's the kind of guy I would still keep running him out there at corner and try and get him more favorable matchups. Maybe not AJ Brown, uh, who's like three times the size of, of him. That was the, that was the big knock on him. I think he was like 168 coming into the league. Uh, that's, that's after eating. Like he that's ate, what I mean. Yeah. He had rocks in his pocket stepping on that scale. So that's where it's, that's where it's tough. But I wonder if it, if it continues to not look great at corner, because he had such good ball skills. I mean, he's the NCAA all-time leader in pick sixes. I wonder if he would be decent at like free safety, something like that, where he's not so much man-to-man, -man, can play some zone, really only focus on the quarterback. Mid-season awards, best team in the AFC. I got the Miami Dolphins. Who do you have? I've got the Ravens. I like their defense. I like their defense more. Uh, and I think I don't want to spoil a, a future thing we're about to pick here, but I think they've got the single best player in football this year in Lamar Jackson. Hmm. The way Lamar Jackson's playing, you know, the Detroit Lions put him on the map right now saying, hey, beat us from the pocket. He didn't beat you from the pocket. He drug you from the pocket. So that was, that was, it wasn't a smart deal by them, but hey, he did a fantastic job of beating them him from the pocket. Um uh, for me, the Miami Dolphins just, you know, with Jalen Ramsey coming back, with Tyreek Hill on pace for 2,100, 2,200 yards, uh, 2,200 yards, that's, you know, it's going to be the first time in, in, in league, history, league history you can get a guy, a wide receiver, 2,100, 2,100 plus yards, which is be uh, outstanding. But then also uh, just way Coach McDaniels has done such a fantastic job of moving guys around, really creating how you motion differently, how you uh, can make the defense commit and confuse them. Uh, he's done such a wonderful job, and I believe uh, he's also maybe, for me, a front runner as possibly coach of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, I have him or Coach Nick Seriano. Who do you? So I, I would lean uh, Mike McDaniel. Uh but also, if I'm Mike McDaniel, I may not want this award. It 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 does not end favorably for coaches of the years historically over the last 10, 15 years. It's one I may be saying, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Okay. Best team in the NFC. I have the number one. I got the Philadelphia Eagles. Who do you have? Yeah. I also have the Eagles, their team, two new coordinators, uh, and they've they're still sitting right there at the top. I would like to say the Seahawks, but they kind of feel a little Jacksonville-y to me. They're winning games, but I, I haven't been able to point to a game and say that's a win. They That's a repeatable win. That's a formula they can use. They're kind of just pulling these wins out and being like, we survived. My MVP, I, I, I got to get it. It's my one, it has to be Tyreek Hill, and then two is uh, Tua. Like one of those, you know, those guys who, who you got. So I have Lamar, but why, what has Tyreek done that AJ Brown hasn't? And I, I say that is I understand Tyreek's on this pace. AJ Brown's already broken one of Calvin's records. And we were texting about this a little bit. Tyreek's not getting two targets a game. You know what I mean? Like he's getting a heavy target share too. AJ Brown, six straight weeks with 125 plus yards is unbelievable and he's he said he i mean on the sideline he went right to jalen hurts he said get me the ball and he said it a little angrier than that he said get me the ball and he's produced a lot of guys say get me the ball they don't do nothing with it he's put that team on his back he has put it on his back but also too there's also players out there too like dallas goddard 
uh, Devontae Smith, who are a little bit struggling in this offense to to get targets as well, right? And it's you know it's not their fault. It's not AJ Brown AJ Brown's fault. But the reason why I'm saying, you know, Tyreek Hill, one first of all, you can't go with either one, and I'm only allowed to choose one, right? But we also know, I think if both of them are on pace to have 2,000 yards, the guy who gets there first, right, should get it. That's all I'm saying. Man, the pace that Tyreek won, when you call your shot before the season and it happens, people are watching. And so the fact that he called his shot and he's on pace to do it, I think it's pretty cool. So uh, here's here's the short. Here, here's the short I do want to address, though. Let's run this one. Hey, uh, had the opportunity to talk to uh, Coach Dorn, uh, NC State. Uh, you know, you, you can run the highlight of what he said. Uh, we've already talked to my man. Um, he's so perturbed with me and so uh, upset. He invited me on the sideline uh, for this next game uh, that they're playing. I believe they're playing Miami uh, in the evening. But unfortunately, I'll be heading to Frankfurt to cover that. Fleeing game. the country again. So, you uh, can't stop fleeing the Fleeing the country. Yes. I'm... <laughs> Catch me if you can, starring Steve Smith Sr. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will be, uh, I'll be moseying old down to Raleigh Durham when I'm back and uh, in time permits and I have a sit down uh, with Coach Dorn. So we squashed everything. No beef. I didn't think we had a beef. Uh, I didn't actually say what I got accused of saying, which is I did not say that NC State is a basketball school. I had did my research and I was I don't watch a lot of ACC and SEC football because like coach said, which I found I, it, it actually made me uh, chuckle. He said he obviously is facing West a lot. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I am known for repping. Yes. Is Los Angeles, is the West Coast, is the University of Utah. So um, so he is accurate. I am always facing West because I'm a West Coast dude. But, you know, so there's no beef. Um, there's no smoke. There's no, hey, there's there's not a problem. Um, but I get, you know, I get where he feels and he's protecting his team and his school. And, hey, you know, we all do, you know, we all in this business, we're going to say things that uh, obviously don't sit well with people. And I, I, and I believe that um, I've kind of found the knack of saying that in the last couple of weeks. And, um, <laughs> And then you flee. And then <laughs> you, yes, and you, I, sit, and run. you knock the water over yeah. on the table and you get out of the room. And then I, <laughs> no, I, I sprint out of the room. Well, right. I'm, I'm glad that one got um, got patched up because I was ready to hate NC State literally the rest of my life. Like I, I was ready to wear that one. I, for North Carolina schools, I've always had Duke at the bottom, the very bottom. Don't respect them. Can't do it. Uh, so I was wow. ready to slide NC State below them, and I'm glad this got <laughs> I'm glad this got patched up. Yeah, uh, so hey, we, it's all good, bro. It's all good, uh, Coach Dorn. Now um, he's right there, and so the the real question, you know, so now I, you know, I, actually I text, I, you know, I text Coach Dorn, congratulations on the win. So now I got to text uh, Dabo Sweeney. Uh, sorry for the loss. Yeah, right? my uh, bad. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I don't want that to be mad at me too, right? You got people mad at me in Raleigh and North Carolina. You got people mad at me in South Carolina. I can't go anywhere. Right? <laughs> can't do anything. Hey, people, listen. It only takes you five minutes. Hit subscribe. It doesn't even take five minutes. It only takes look. Boop, hit subscribe, man. Help my help my family have a nice, good Christmas. Okay, please. You know. I've fumbled the bag. I'm only doing media because I'm dead broke. So please help. Okay? Thank you.